Trusting God when it hurts. We are on week four of our winter quarter. And if you've been with us, you know we've discussed, you know, why Christians suffer. And we've talked about how Christians, or at least we've begun to talk about how Christians can suffer well or should suffer well. And um, yeah, we've said a few things. We haven't said everything about that. And I wanted to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a little bit of a turn this morning. We're going to do a little bit of a turn. Let me close this because that's just, that's a little distracting for me. We're going to make a little bit of a turn this morning. And before I do that, just an addendum, uh, maybe a postscript, if you will, to what we talked about the last three weeks with respect to um, praying the Psalms. I was talking to a friend this week. We... We were talking together, and, and he's a friend who's experienced quite a bit of suffering. And, um, man, I'm just hearing all kinds of noise. Uh, it's not, I'm not just hearing things. There really is noise. We, we were talking this week, and, um, and he and I together heard that something that I thought was, was helpful. So this is a postscript and addendum to what we have been talking about the, the last few weeks and praying the Psalms, sometimes suffering can feel so in your face, like front and center, right? That I, I just can't even see anything else. Have you, has anybody ever experienced that? Yeah, many of you have. And I mean, it can be all kinds of different things. Um, but suffering and, and circumstances can be so big in our lives that we, we can't hardly see anything else, including God. And what we heard this week, I thought was really helpful. I just wanted to, I just wanted to relay it to you. Like maybe praying the Psalms, as we've been talking about, that even doing that just feels really too big, too much, too hard. And and if that's you, here's maybe a simpler prayer, just just to help. And the prayer would be something that goes like this. Dear God, Father, would you help me just to experience you as bigger than all the other problems I'm experiencing right now? Does that make sense? So the prayer would just be a simple prayer of basically saying, God, I need to experience you as bigger than my suffering and my pain. That's where I'm starting. Just, just move that, move that suffering a little bit further away. And I pray you would be bigger to me than that. And, um, and again, maybe that's, maybe that's a little more accessible in those times when there's just intense pain and suffering. God, help me just to experience you as bigger than my pain and suffering. Okay? Well, up until now, we've, we've answered the question, how should Christians suffer? I mean, how should we suffer well? And we focus basically on an individual level. Like the way we can do that is to learn to pray the Psalms because that's how Jesus suffered, right? <clears throat> I want us to answer that question from a little bit different angle, uh, in the next weeks. And we're going to ask the questions, how should Christians suffer? How should we suffer well? And the, the, the one word response is together. Okay. So that's a little bit of a turn we're going to take. How should Christians suffer together as brothers and sisters in the local church? And I want to do another little shift in our perspective as well on this topic of suffering. Um, and I want to talk a, about a specific type of pain and suffering, and that is the topic of mental health. I want to talk about mental health or mental illness. And one reason I want to talk about that is because it's not talked about all that much in the context of the local church, at least in my humble opinion, and in my experience, this idea of mental health or illness hasn't been talked about that much in the context of the local church. 
And then the, the other reason why I want to talk about that is because my conviction is it affects more people here than we tend to think it does. Okay? So the reason I want to talk about that is because we don't tend to talk about it and because I think it affects more people than we might think. So, and the goal really is that we grow together to, to, to become more and more equipped to care for one another in suffering and struggles of all shapes and sizes, okay? So much of what I'm going to share with you comes from a book uh, called Mental Health and Your Church. It's by, it's by a couple, well, they're not like a married couple, it's by two people, two authors in the UK, which is kind of fun to hear uh, of a book like this that's, that's uh, by a couple of English. Uh, it's uh, Dr. Steve Midgley and Helen Thorne, I believe, are the, are the authors. And I'm excited to talk about this topic, and I'll confess I'm a little nervous. Okay? I'm excited because, like I said, I don't think we talk about this topic that much. I'm a little nervous because the last time I talked about the issue of psychiatric medication, um, there were some people that didn't agree with what I said and had a pretty strong response. <clears throat> and, and so my disclaimer for the, and we're going to, I want to talk about that again. I want to talk a little bit about uh, medications because I, I think we need to talk about it. But my disclaimer this morning is this. I don't claim to have the last word on, on these topics. I'm not giving you the final uh, authoritative word. I don't, I'm also not claiming to speak on behalf of the elders, okay? We haven't discussed all these things and come up and formulated, this is exactly where we land on everything. I'm giving you my best, uh, you know, my best thoughts on this topic uh, as, as it is. So I'm an imperfect pastor who is trying to grow and caring for people. And so this is my best attempt to do that. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I have lots to learn. So, so anyway, and, and oh, by the way, I am convinced that whether you're struggling with mental illness or problems of living, or you're simply struggling with meaning of life, right? Whatever you're struggling with, my conviction is that you need Jesus. I need Jesus. Like that's the thing that we both, that, that's the thing that we all need the most because God has created us for himself. And the only way we can truly become who he has created us to be is, is to be connected to him through a relationship of trust and dependence on Christ. Does that make sense? So, so that's my core conviction. Um, and I just want to say all those things up front. And I also want to say this, that, that um, trusting, knowing and trusting in Jesus doesn't mean that our struggles... Sorry, I should have done this earlier. Uh, knowing and trusting in Jesus doesn't mean that our struggles and our suffering is healed in this life. Okay? The gospel promises healing, but never fully in this life. So, so here's a book, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get this into the bookstore in the near future. Um, it's called A Quiet Mind to Suffer With. And it's, it's a guy, John Andrew Bryant, who um, suffers, I'm gonna use the present tense, suffers with obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. And he, was, uh, he, he hung out in a psych ward for a little bit. And uh, it's his, it's kind of a memoir, but it's a great example of a guy who learned to trust and depend on Jesus Christ in the midst of this illness. And it didn't just, his trust in Jesus didn't magically just eliminate all of those struggles. So I commend that to you. That would be a great uh, 
it's a, I'm reading it. I, it's one of those books I read through and I immediately just went back to the first page and started reading through it again. I mean, it's affected me pretty deeply. And so, um, so here's what I want us to do. Is it okay if we go on this journey together? Okay. Okay. I'm driving. You're a lot, but we're doing this together. And again, um, let me, let me pray for us. Our father, we do thank you that we can come together and, and, and Lord, you know, you, you know, every single person here by name, you love every single person here by name. You know exactly what, what's going on with our lives. And so we do pray as we talk about these things that you would grow us, you would, you would help us, you would help us to help each other, grow us in, in caring and loving each other as we talk about these important topics. We, we ask this in the great name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, here we go. So the authors of the book I mentioned, uh, Mental Health in Your Church, begin with this statement. The local church is a messy place, but it doesn't always look that way. The local church is a messy place, but it doesn't always look that way. What's your initial response? What's your gut reaction to that statement? Yeah, Ross. Okay, it's true. Why, why, why do you say it's true? So if I can paraphrase, basically, we all come in with a lot going on in our lives, and we tend to come in just trying to not be glum, you know, gloom and doom. And so we, we tend to assume, man, that person's life must be perfect. Something like that. Yeah. Sarah. Yeah. 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 Right, and I've, I've heard that from people as a pastor. I've heard people at this church say, it's really hard for me to come here on Sunday morning because I walk in and it just seems like everybody else here, their life is put together, they're well-adjusted, and I feel like I'm the only one that's struggling, right? Yeah, when Kathy. When I people come to church that you've not been to before, you just Yeah. You don't really get to know any of that stuff so that it does look like I can Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so yeah, I mean there is a context and I get it. Sunday morning, um, you know, often, not always, but often isn't maybe the time, the context to 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 share my my life and myself so deeply. We do have other contexts for that. But yeah, really the better assumption rather than man, everybody else is well-adjusted and I'm the only one that's struggling. A better assumption would be since Genesis 3, since this thing we like to call, well, not like to call, but we call the fall, right? We're all struggling with sin, with suffering. We're strugglers in, in all kinds of different ways. And, um, you know, I mean, our bodies, our physical bodies don't work the way they were designed to, especially as you get older, right? Things happen. Our, our hearts, you know, our hearts often go astray. Our minds don't always work uh, well. So we struggle in various ways. And admittedly, for some people, the struggle is somewhat manageable. You know, suffering is a spectrum, right? Some people struggle less, some people struggle more, but we all are struggling in some ways. And, and for some, the pain of life runs really, really deep, you know? And I know most of you, and some are struggling with long-term illnesses. Some have been 
deeply wounded by relational hurts, right? Some have life-dominating struggles of the mind, um, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there are lots of struggles. And so on Sunday morning, this church can, you know, you can interpret it and see it. It looks like a country club for the, for the well, for the well-adjusted. I mean, it can look like that at first glance. It can look like a country club for successful, well-adjusted and put together people, but when you get to know people, you realize that really this is more of a hospital for strugglers, right? I mean, that's what we want this church to be, is a hospital for sufferers and sinners like me and like you. We struggle in various ways. The authors of the book uh, um, that I've mentioned say this, the abused, the broken, the ill, the deluded, Those ground down and ostracized by the fallenness of life all have a home in the church through Christ. And I mean, more and more, I want this, I want us to grow at this church to be a place like that. I'm not saying it's an imperfect church, um, but that's what we're hoping to become more and more. And see, the thing is, If you look out and see well-adjusted, you know, people that have it together, if you look out at this church, you're misinformed because the worshiping community, God's people, have always been strugglers. Like, for example, I'm going to give you a couple of examples. It's always been the case for the worshiping community that we're a we're a collection of strugglers. In 1 Kings 19, we meet the prophet Elijah. You remember Elijah? Bold, you know, confronts the prophets of Baal. But in, in 1 Kings 19, we meet the prophet Elijah who's fearful, depressed, and suicidal. And he says, oh Lord, this is his prayer, oh Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. You might know people like Elijah in our church, once bold, hopeful, and now there's a darkness to many, if not most of their thoughts. In Genesis 37, we meet this guy named Joseph, physically abused by his brothers. We read this in in Genesis 37. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. You might know people at this church like Joseph. Their past, maybe their present, includes abuse, humiliation, and shame at the hands of maybe those closest to them. In 2 Samuel 13, a woman named Tamar, 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 either one, Tamar was raped by her stepbrother. She says this to Amnon, she says, before this happens, she says, no, my brother, do not violate me or humiliate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel, do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? You might know people like Tamar in our church, raped by a family member, silently carrying shame and humiliation. You might know people like bitter Naomi, who lost sons and a husband. You might know people like the, the Corinthian Christians who grew up in the context of drug and alcohol abuse. The worshiping community of God has always been a people of strugglers. We're sufferers and sinners. And by grace, in Christ, saints. We're saints, sufferers, and sinners. 
all together. That's who we are. And the worshiping community has always been like that. Whether our struggle involves problems in living, meaning of life struggles, or mental illness, we can all relate to challenges in a fallen world, okay? Um, And while we're usually comfortable speaking about problems of living, and what I mean by problems of living, just, just challenges of life in a fallen world, like struggles with anger, you know, struggles with, um, yeah, various struggles, problems of living, or meaning of life struggles. Like, man, I'm experiencing, you know, suffering. I'm, I'm experiencing disappointment in life. What does it all mean? What's it all for, right? Like, those would be common struggles. The thing with mental illness is we don't usually talk about those because those struggles can seem foreign to the life of the the local church. So consider this quote. Again, I'm getting all this from this book, but it says this, statistics tell us that worldwide, one in six of us will have experienced a mental health struggle in the past week. Globally, serious depression is the second leading cause of disability. And that's from a a UK organization. This is reality. And so, as they say, here's the first thing we, as the local church, need to grasp. Mental unwellness is not the rare exception. This is the normality in every church. Okay? So I guess if you get nothing else from today... Mental unwellness is not the rare exception. It's the normality uh, for every church. And those kinds of struggles can be really hard for several reasons. But probably the main reason it can be hard for people that experience mental, uh, mental health struggles is, is because we tend to think it's so different. It's like, wow, that's, that's just so different. And because that tends to be, um, because we tend to think of those struggles as the rare exception, those who who experience those struggles can feel isolated. Does that make sense? I mean, if, if that's the rare exception and I'm the rare exception, then that distances me from other people, right? By definition. So... So it can just feel isolating. And there's a fear about sharing a mental health struggle because people can just, I don't know what to do with that. And I mean, I've, I've felt that way, right? I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to say. So they, people may not share that because of fear or they may also not want to share it because they feel like it reveals weak faith. Like, man, if you just believed in Jesus properly, you know, that would all go away. And that is one reason I love this book. So this, this guy has a very robust trust and dependence on Jesus. And if you read it, you'll, you'll be pretty stunned. Um, and, and yet he still struggles with these things. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, trying, those who struggle with mental health um, can just feel isolated by that because it seems like we assume that's the rare exception. And, you know, to be honest with you, depending upon the spectrum, the, the level of struggle, it can be complex and hard to care for uh, people who are experiencing that. And so we may be tempted to withdraw. Yeah, Willie. That's where we get to the home group situation. Uh, throughout the given week, I might not see any of these people through the whole week, so that when I come on Sunday morning, I might want to look a certain way. Whereas in a home group, you meet regularly, you begin to see that, yes, I'm not that different. I have some of the same problems. They have some of my problems, and we can relate better. Yes. So the small group is very important. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We need to, we need to, we need to be in a context where we're getting to know one another. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and community group, discipleship group, those are those are good opportunities to do that. Yeah. And and then and then that can bridge that gap. Yeah, you're not so different than I am. And what I want to talk about today is I want to begin to try and do that a little bit um, with our time together. So there's all kinds of reasons why um, it can be really challenging um, for folks that struggle with mental health in the context of the local church. And it can be challenging for those of us that are trying to care for them. I mean, we don't know what to do. Um, We don't know what to say. We don't know what help really looks like. Um, Maybe you've cared for someone in that situation and it's been really, really hard, like late night phone calls, early morning phone calls. You know, it's just really hard. Or maybe you've tried to care for people that have struggled that way and it hasn't ended well. You know, all kinds of various reasons. Yeah, you, you might think I'm not qualified to help someone like that. Mental health struggles require mental health specialists. And that may be true. There may be some specialized training that needs to, that needs to be part of that. But even if we don't have specialized training, we can, as the body of Christ, we, we can help. Uh, strugglers of various kinds. So we'll address a lot of those concerns, but, but here's the thing that, that the authors of this book that I really resonate with, they say this, when the local church is acting as a local church can, the results for all involved can be a delight and not a burden. Let me, let me just read that again. So in the context of caring, and it doesn't have to just be mental illness, we're talking about suffering, right, of all different kinds. When the local church is acting as a local church can, the results for all involved can be a delight and not a burden. And they give a vision of the local church as this messy, beautiful gospel hospital for strugglers of, of all kinds and all shapes. And again, I want to say... Um, This is an imperfect church. We're all imperfect people, Um, but we can grow and and many of you are already caring for one another in really significant and substantial ways. So this is both, I think we're doing this to some level and we can grow and, and continue to grow in this. So the local church, life in the local church, we can be a family. We can be a family in Christ where where we can share our struggles without fear or judgment, whatever those struggles are. We can be, be a body where members genuinely empathize with one another on the good days and the bad, where we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep, right? We can be a flock where everyone's spiritual needs are provided for and everyone is given encouragement to keep following their shepherd king. We can be a place where all of us can use our gifts even if we're struggling, because every member of Christ's body is essential, right? This is just a vision of of who God is making us to be. He's growing us up together into Christ-like maturity. And yeah, we're never gonna be perfect in this life, but we can grow up more and more into this. We can become a fellowship where resources are shared so that no one is in any physical need. I've seen this. I've seen how generously you give to the Benevolence Fund, for example. We've been able to give all kinds of money and help to people in need in this church. We can be a community where everyone is active in supporting others so that no one gets burned out by having to shoulder all the work. We can become a congregation where everyone can be loved and safe, where we can, you know, practice gentle boundaries for the good of all and we can be a gathering so we can be become this gathering that's that's countercultural in the sense that we're all different but that we care for one another in a way that people look at that and just go wow that's different that's not what i'm experiencing out there in the world right again these are lofty goals um but that's who God intends us to be as the body of Christ. Um, 
Yeah, so we'll never get it completely right, but that's what God has designed the body of Christ, this local body, to be. And I'm going to pause right here uh, before I do another turn. Questions or comments on just kind of setting a vision. Yeah, Ross. Yeah. So that if there's something that's really heavy on our heart that we need help and strength with, we know that the people in our disciples will pray for us then and there, and then also during the coming week. And it kind of gives you this, like a little bit of relief or comfort. Yeah. Knowing that you have people praying for you. Yeah. 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 Um, so just to summarize, yeah, just a comment of, going and being part of a community group or a discipleship group, you, you know you're, you're typically spending time praying for one another. And, and what, what that does is you know, you know, throughout the week, you know people are praying. And I'm interpreting that like I'm not alone. I'm not, I'm not alone. Yeah, Louise. I think uh, as you are, you know, all of us are people groups but we, as Christians, Yes. Yeah, that's really good. It so so the comment was we individual we, we need to grow in being vulnerable and sharing what's going on with people. And and yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Because like hiding or pretending, like that's that does something to us when, when we're doing that. So yeah, sharing, obviously in, the, in, in a correct context with people that I trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but absolutely, that's, that's the kind of community we want to continue to grow. Yeah, Kathy and then Willie. saying is easy to apply Um, but to me it seems like the first step is just trying to talk about it a little bit and and to Kathy's point I think one of the things I love the phrase I love in the gospels one of the things I love the most is is how it always says that Jesus saw he saw people and so I think, I, I, Lord, help me see people. Help me really see them. And he had a way of seeing 
people and, and a lot of people that were like pretty far down on the, you know, the scale of, of societal importance, right? He had a way of seeing people. And yeah, we need to grow and be able to see people. Jay. In First Corinthians 12, the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of healing, and one of those gifts specifically is the gift of discernment of spirits. So there's a supernatural love of God to tap into that he can help us see in the spirit world. To see when people are hurting because we're really good at covering up. Yep. We need a spiritual connection and, and God's help in, in, in discerning how our brother or sister is hurting. Yeah, that's really good. Really good. Yeah, Jenny. And it's so difficult to get the organic and the physical is, and the mental is also intertwined with the spiritual. And it's a mystery to me how it all works together yeah. because you can't, you can't. Um, Set any, either any of those things aside and say it's all physical. It could be a spirit, like you, a heavy spirit or a spirit of, you know, yep. involved as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah, it takes a lot of well, understanding. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. It takes a lot of wisdom that, that we don't have. And so, yeah, Lord, help me to see. We'll talk a little later about some of those different uh, uh, aspects. You know, there is a spiritual realm that's real. Um, we do have bodies, right? There's a societal context. Um, we have, a, you know, a heart. A yeah, so, so there's lots of complexity with us as people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with our remaining time, we don't have a ton of time, but in our remaining time, I want to try to begin to answer the question, what is mental illness? And we won't. Just, just full disclosure, we won't, uh, get, we won't get a full definition today. You're going to have to come back in two weeks. How's that for, what do they call that, like a tease in radio? But we're going to make a start to that. What is mental illness? And at first, it might seem like a pretty straightforward question. What is it? You know, um, we know what it's like to be well physically and, and to be sick physically, um, and so if mental illness is like physical illness, then the boundary between being, you know, healthy or ill, you know, well or sick seems pretty clear cut and pretty straightforward, right? Like on Monday, I felt fine. And then on Wednesday, I got the flu. And then a week later, I felt fine again, right? Um, the authors point out, though, that even with physical sickness, it's not that simple. Because someone might feel fine and be very, very sick with undiagnosed cancer, right? Or you could be sick with a thyroid condition and you're, you're, you're taking drugs that treat it and so it becomes very manageable, right? But, but there's still an underlying uh, illness there. And with mental health and, and mental illness, things are even more complicated um, because we could be experiencing high levels of stress, you know, anxiety. But if you think about it, if I'm in a war zone experiencing high levels of stress or anxiety, we'd say that's pretty normal. Like, like if I weren't experiencing that, something's wrong if I'm in a war zone. So, um, so it's not that simple. Here's, here's what we're driving at. Many symptoms of mental illness are common to us all. We all know what it's like to feel low, you know, like wake up on Monday morning, I'm just kind of feeling blue, I'm feeling down. We all know what it's like to feel low in mood and everyone gets anxious sometimes. So if, if, I, if I experience these things, rightfully, my first response would be, oh, dude, you've got a mental illness, right? That's just part of life. Does that make sense? Like, like we live in a fallen world and we are affected by what's going on around us. And so because I'm low in mood or I'm anxious sometimes, 
doesn't necessarily mean that I have a mental illness. And so the authors go on to say this, only when such experiences last a long time or recur frequently or increase in intensity do medical terms begin to be used. So based on duration, recurrence, or intensity, instead of saying I'm feeling you know, low or down, I might say I'm depressed. But even then, circumstances matter because, because I may have a period of extended you know, sadness and an increased intensity of sadness after my father dies. And that would be right and normal, right? So, so even saying this, there's a context in which we have to assess um, mental health and mental illness. So with all that, here's what I really want us to see. There's really two things I want us to see, and we're going to have to try and do this fairly quickly. But number one, and we'll unpack this later in a couple weeks, psychiatric diagnoses are more descriptions than explanations. So with physical sickness, typically when you get a diagnosis, within the diagnosis is an explanation of the sickness. Right. So I had shingles a couple months ago. I don't think I'm contagious anymore. You're okay. But but shingles, when when I'm diagnosed with shingles, what that means is I have this virus that hung out in my spine since I contracted chickenpox as a kid. I think it's called the varicella zoster virus. And so when they say, dude, you've got shingles, the explanation is included in the diagnosis. It's not the same way with a psychiatric diagnosis. All that they do, a psychiatric diagnosis just describes symptoms. It doesn't tell you, you know, the root cause or give you an explanation necessarily. Um, and then the symptoms of me mental illness have connections with all of us because these symptoms are experienced on a spectrum. So like we've alluded to already, anxiety. Has anybody here ever experienced anxiety? <laughs> okay, okay. Now here, I, I want you to, uh, yeah, I want you to, I want to bring that home to you as best I can. Picture yourself, you're in your house by yourself. Picture maybe a little different house than you currently have, but you walk downstairs into the, into the laundry room. It's an older house. Maybe it's a 1950s Spokane house. And so it's concrete. You know, the basement's all concrete. You walk downstairs, you open up the door and your laundry room is in this concrete basement and you turn on the light and what happens? You see a large <laughs> hobo spider. What's that? Yeah, 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 yeah. You see this spider. Oh, by the way, I did a little bit of research on a hobo spider, and I think I've been told by someone that these are extremely, you know, venomous, and that if they bite you, you know, you could die. Now, I could be wrong, but the research I did said, no, that's not really the case. It's hard for them to bite you. If you get bit, you could get a, you know, it could swell up and stuff, but... They're not like lethal, okay? So, so anyway, so here's the thing. You, you see this spider, you could have a number of responses to this. One response would be to casually, you know, pick it up and throw it into the toilet, right? Pick it up with your hand or smash it with your hand. You know, you could do that. You could do that. I have actually done that. A second response would be to get, go get some Kleenex or some toilet paper, you know, pick it up with the Kleenex or toilet paper and throw it in the toilet, get rid of it somehow. A third response could be call a family member to deal with the spider. I think I can share this with you. That's what my wife typically does. She's like, dude, you need to go deal with this, right? Okay, so that could be your response. A fourth response could be 
Your fear is pretty intense since you won't even go visit the insect house at the zoo. Like, I don't want any part of that, man. This is kind of freaking me out to have this spider in here. Another response on the spectrum of anxiety would be your fear is even more intense since you won't even go to visit a friend's house. You know, you saw cobwebs up in the ceiling and you're like, okay, I'm not going there anymore. All right? And then the... The last one on our spectrum of anxiety is your fear is extremely intense since you won't even leave your house because you're afraid you're going to run into a spider. Okay? It's a spectrum of anxiety. Let me ask you the question. Where are you on that spectrum? You don't have to answer out loud, but... But the point is, you're probably on this spectrum of of spider anxiety somewhere, and you probably know other people that are maybe somewhere else on that spectrum. So here's the point. Many, if not most, of our struggles with mental health can be located on a spectrum in this way. Okay? And the reason that's important for us is because it reduces the us versus them like this. Wow, that's totally, like, like even if I'm here, I can relate to anxiety. We're on a spectrum, and so this person's not so different than I am. Does that make sense? And I think with mental illness, that helps us to, instead of withdraw in fear, is to say, no, I, I can relate to that in some way. That's not so different. So we haven't answered the question, what is mental illness just yet? Again, come back in two weeks and we'll do that. But I think this is important preamble to defining what it is. Yeah, Russ. Social, social anxiety, yeah, yeah. Denial, right, right. Yeah, I can relate to denial for sure. Yeah, Leva. Yeah, coming on that, I was, I was wondering, so how about the not being aware of my own mental illness? Like, I remember when I was depressed, I had this tunnel side, and not really being aware of the gravity of the situation. Yeah. But yeah. I'm thinking also of other, a spouse who says, well, my... My spouse doesn't realize that they are doing this or that or behaving this way or that. Are we going to talk about that too or is that probably should? Yeah, that's a great, that, that's, that's great. Okay, so denial and this idea, um, maybe it's not even like I'm purposely or even consciously doing that, but maybe I don't even realize, you know, how, how bad it is, I think is what you're saying, right? And so how can we help each other in that? And um, that's a great question. And you said, are we going to talk about that? And I said, well, we probably should, but we probably can't today. But let's, let's push on that because I think it is part and parcel of knowing uh, one another and, um, and having honest conversations. Yeah. But that's, that's good, Levi. You can help us do that. Yeah. Jenny. Yeah. Like OCD. So that we were all on that too. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me see if I can find this for you. On along those lines about denial and the reality. I love this. Is there really a lie so deep and convincing that it is worse than feeling this way? And what is that lie? What is the deepest lie? The worst lie, the worst story I can think of is the lie that says my life is mine and that there is such a thing as life as I would have it, like life the way I want it. 
That is the only expectation that must be undone, and it is the longest, cruelest agony of the Christian life, but it must be undone. So all of us are in denial to one degree or another, and God is gently trying to help us see what's real. Our lives are not our own. Yeah, yeah. One more. Trying to discern between a mental problem and a sin problem. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. Yeah, a mental problem versus a sin problem. Yeah, so we're going to talk about that, absolutely. And we'll do the best we can. Yep, so. Okay, one, okay, I said one. Really quick, yep. on, on that, thank you for doing this. Yeah. Most of the churches I've gone to, they just call it all sin. And it's hurt so many people, so yeah. thank you. Yeah. Thank you for addressing Yeah, that. Don't, don't thank me yet, because um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, but... Yeah, hopefully this will be helpful for all of us, yeah. So here's what I want you to take away today, and then again, come back in two weeks because we won't meet next week, right? Hopefully, because I'll be gone, hopefully, okay? Um, Life in the local church is a messy place. Mental unwellness is the norm, not the exception in the local church. We want to grow as a church that cares well for strugglers of all kinds. Psychiatric diagnoses are more descriptions of symptoms rather than explanations of root causes. And then the symptoms of mental illness have connections with all of us because these symptoms are experienced on a spectrum just like our spider anxiety, okay? All right, I'm gonna pray for us. Thanks for being here. Our Father and our God, we thank you that we can talk about these things here. Thank you for each person here. Father, I pray that... um, that, Lord, as we began, uh, that for each of us, Lord, we all came here today with various problems and struggles. And I pray, Father, we ask, uh, I ask on behalf of each of us here that you would be bigger in our sight than, than the significant struggles that we each uh, face today and in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.